Well, I'm not going to speak Welsh to you like I did last time, <laughs> although I might sing the Welsh national anthem. But no, no, I won't. Um, when Mike first gave me this passage and I read it, I was thinking, oh, it's, it's not the best passage to be preaching on. But as I've, as I've been looking at it, it's actually hugely rich in hope and it gives really practical support to us um, looking into it. So hopefully that will come across this morning. Um, if you remember, the Corinthian church here has been looking to other things. It's been waylaid by the things that they see around them. Paul keeps trying to bring them back to the the truths of the gospel. Um, they, They getting wrapped up with picking and choosing what they want from from the gospel. And and this is what they're doing here. Last week we heard from Peter and we heard a really great solid structure to what Paul was saying about the resurrection of Christ. It's virtually indisputable. You know, you go to the law course and that was it. And this is a follow-on from that, this passage. It's it's quite a long passage, but hopefully we can break it down. So we're going to break it down into three chunks, but it's a sandwich. Okay, it's a sandwich of learning here. And the, the last bit refers to the first bit. Okay, so bear that in mind. Um, the first bit of the sandwich, the top layer, is verses 12 to 19. So if you look at those verses, it's, it'd be really helpful if you had your Bible in front, because I'll be constant, re, constantly be referring back and forth to the passage. So if you're anything like me, you'll forget what the first verse said. So if we, if we just had that top layer between 12 and 19, it'd be actually quite depressing, wouldn't it? I don't know about you, but if you break it down, there's a lot of knots. You look at uh, verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then verse 14. Preaching is useless. Verse 15. You're false witnesses. Verse 16, Christ has not been raised. Verse seven, and it seems to escalate, doesn't it? Verse 17, your faith is futile. And then, and then it really comes to a climax in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we, we are of all people most to be pitied. Is that what we are? Is that what we are coming here today? Are we most pitied? Well, the Corinthian church was really skeptical of certain parts of the teaching of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, and even now I look at passages in the Bible and I go, really? Is, did, did that really happen? And this is what's happening here. They're quite skeptical. The Corinthian church is skeptical of the resurrection. In this case, it's about resurrection of the dead. And we are skeptical as well. So we can actually relate to this. And it's not, in many ways, it's not just, this passage isn't just about resurrection of the dead. It's about our attitude to what the, the, the gospel says. 
So how does Paul approach their cynicism and being so sceptical? Now, who here likes conflict? Anyone? No? Difficult conversations? No? You you like difficult conversations? (laughs) They're necessary, aren't they? You can't go through life without conflict or difficult conversations. And I don't know about you, but I've changed how I approach difficult conversations. And it all depends on the situation, the person that you're dealing with. And so often we can either, I I think this is probably everyone's default, you know, but you don't do it. You just don't have that difficult conversation, do you? You, you? you go quiet and you think, you know, it, it'll suddenly disappear. But in the meantime, it's in your mind, you know, it's stewing on your mind and it, it irritates you more or, or it's more obvious and it's all playing in your mind till the point that you just let rip. And then it, it just goes really pear-shaped. So, so it's either all one way or all the other. Now, in this passage, Paul deals with this conflict that he has to address with the Corinthian church really well. He doesn't go silent and he doesn't let rip. He appeals to their logic and their intelligence. And I think this is one thing that we can take from this. This is a great way of dealing with conflict, actually. Okay, in different situations. If ever you're in a situation in the future now, you can go, oh, how did Paul deal with it? Look, look how he deals with it. He appeals to their logic. He says he knows that they believe in certain things. Okay, he knows that. And then he links that to the things that they don't believe in. So he says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, which he's just sp- spoken about in the first part of Uh, chapter 15 not even Christ has been raised so it's appealing to their logic if this then this and then he goes on if this then this okay now with children any of you that have children you know you know what I'm talking about I'm a teacher so you know I've got my own children but they get to a point in their life where they realize cause and effect Okay, so you go, if you're going to choose this, then this is going to happen. If you slap your sister, then you're going to go on the naughty step. That, that, that's, that's the rules, okay? And this is what's happening here. He's saying, if you believe this, then this is going to happen. He's not saying, you have to believe this. Oh, this is, what's, this is what I believe, so you've got to believe it. He's appealing to their logic and intelligence. But the crux of that first part is that if they do believe this, and there is resurrection of the dead, then that, that really... That, that, breaks down all of their conceptions of what the gospel is. And I think if you look at verse 19, if only for this hope, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now it's not saying don't have hope in Christ because then you won't be pitied. He's, he's focusing here on this life. 
If you only believe that Christ, res- Christ was resurrected for this life, then you're to be pitied. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends that aren't Christians, and they can say to me, do you know, Rian, you believe in, in, in Christ. It's like believing in Santa Claus, okay, because it's just a load of nonsense. It's like a fairy tale. And in some ways, if we don't have this belief in what Paul's saying here, it is a fairy tale. It's pointless us being here. It's all pointless. And in some ways, if you just take that for what it's saying here, you may as well go home now. And we'll we'll come to how how it links into the end of the passage in a moment. Thankfully, it's not hopeless, okay? So that's the good news, okay? And I'm going to come on to the good news now. It's not hopeless. Thankfully, the passage doesn't end at verse 19. We're not all to be pitied because there's so much more to come. So let's have a look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, before I go on to explain a bit more about the passage, I want to just address the first fruits. Okay, you might be thinking, I don't, I don't get what it means by first fruits. Well, in the Old Testament, and, and this is the great thing about the Bible, you don't just pluck out bas- passages and go, right, what does that passage mean? It's all in reference to the whole Bible, so there should be a flow to the Bible. So, if you don't believe me, look back on the Bible about the first fruits. Go home and Google it. In the Old Testament. The first fruit was in reference to the law that they used to take in the first part of the harvest and offer it to God. And it was a representation that there was more to come. The first fruit of the harvest, you don't just present that to God, but then it leads on to the whole harvest being presented to God. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the first fruit because the That's the first part of the harvest. The the whole harvest is yet to come. What do I mean by a whole harvest? It means that we'll all be resurrected from the dead. It doesn't just stop at Christ being resurrected from the dead. Because if it was just about Christ, this this is all it is. This, This is all life is about. But for us, we will be resurrected from the dead. So there's more to come. This isn't it, guys. It's great, isn't it? It's great to know that the daily lives that you go, sometimes you, you know, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm stuck on a hamster wheel sometimes. You go and doing the same thing over and over again. But this isn't it. There's more to come. And that's what Jesus is. He's the first fruit. So this bit, and I would say the crux of the whole part of this, this whole chunk of passage, is found in verse 22. So if you look at verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then he goes on to explain it. 
But why I say that's the crux of this, it's because it's a full completion. God doesn't do a half-hearted attempt at, at our salvation. It's everything. So back, going back to the Old Testament now, Adam, when Adam fell, he didn't just fall spiritually, he fell physically, okay? And as a consequence of that fall, we die. All of us die, okay? Now, Christ has come, and spiritually we are alive, but as you know, we all die. We still have that curse. We still look and have sadness, So there's more to come. It's not that we die and that's it. One day we will be resurrected and that's a great hope. I don't know, um, I'm sure many in this room have, have had to face death of some kind, whether it's, whether it's a loved one or family or friends. Um, I face death a lot actually in that I used to be a nurse. Before I was a teacher, I was a nurse and... At the ripe age of 18, I was, I was facing death a lot. And people used to say to me, you must get used to it. I never got used to it. It was horrible. And when my dad died, my dad died a few years ago, and that was, that was a real stark face of death. So he had cancer. He, um, he went downhill over three years, so it was a slow process. And at the end of that, when he died, he died at our home. And he looked, he looked awful. He didn't look like my dad. It looked like, you know, you see the, the pictures in films of someone that's very gaunt and, and grey. And I looked at my dad and I thought, that's not my dad. It's just a body. And the great thing about that is that my dad is going to be resurrected one day and there'll be new life. It's, it's not the end now. And although we face that sadness, we, we never stop that sadness. We'll always harp back to the, the curse of death. So even though we have the hope, we still have that sadness in our hearts of that broken relationship with loved ones. The fact that death was never meant to be. God never intended us to die. He, he intended, uh, intended us to have eternal life and live in relationship forever. But because we, we see that physical death, we have to face the stark reality of the curse of Adam. But it's not the end. And for those of us that have faced death and will face death, because it's inevitable. It's not the end. There's a hope to come. I think one of the, one of the things I love about, not just this passage, but if you look in, at my dad's funeral, we, uh, the guy gave a sermon on Thessalonians where it says about people falling asleep. It's a lovely image, isn't it? It's not going you know, that's it. They, they, the corpses, it's, they fall. it's a really lovely image of, of them go, of us seeing the fact that it, it's, it's not the end. They've fallen asleep and one day they'll wake up again in eternity. 
And that's what that middle bit of the sandwich is all about. So we've looked at the negative, okay, the top part of the sandwich, and the logical approach that uh, Paul has to the Corinthian church. We've looked at that middle bit and the hope that's to come, the hope that um, although everyone died in Adam, we're all alive in Christ and will be alive. And up until verse 28, he explains all of that. He explains that God has power over death and, um, and that he will be all in all one day. So the bottom part of the sandwich, verse 29 to the end, it goes back to his logical argument. Now, when I was looking at this passage, there's, there's little bits that we can get slightly sidetracked on, which would be the first fruit. And the second bit that's a bit of a red heron is this baptism of the dead. Um, now, w- what, what is baptism of the dead? Because we certainly don't celebrate it. And the crux of this isn't that Paul is uh, believes in it or that he's condoning it. What he's getting at is that the Corinthian church were believed in it. It was it was more of a secular belief. It was brought in by other religions. And he's not saying what you're doing is rubbish or what you're doing is fantastic. What he's saying is that if you do believe in in baptism of the dead, which was the people that were alive were being baptized for the people who had already died and didn't have time to be baptized before they died, basically. He's saying if you actually believe this, then... The dead aren't raised at all. So if you look at the passage, it says, Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized from the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, which is what they didn't believe in, they didn't believe that the the dead were raised, why are people being baptized for them? What are you doing? You know, it's not logical. What what you're doing isn't logical. If, If you believe in baptism of the dead... Why don't you believe in resurrection of the dead? Because it's all empty. So his point isn't actually baptism of the dead. It's going back to that logical argument. If you believe this, then this has to happen. If you look at verse 19, which is what we were saying before, we people most to be pitied. He also says, if this life is all there is, if this life is all there is, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. Just live an existential life. You know? Don't worry about what happens in the future. Don't worry about the people that died that you love and that would die. Just live as though this were your last day. Go out, live life to the max. But he doesn't want them to have that attitude. He wants them to realize the hope. It's not finished yet. There's a hope to come. 
all of that conflict, all of that heartache that you've, that you've seen in your life, there is a better way to come. And that's resurrection. That, that God hasn't finished his plan yet. This life is not all there is. There's a hope to come. So he's, he's had his sandwich now. He's had his logical argument. He's had his logical argument at the end and he's said what the meat is in the middle. And I love that meaty bit in the middle, that hope. And if that hope is true, let's go back again to the first part and turn that negativity on its head. So let's have a think of those little passages about, um, about preaching is useless, false witnesses, Christ not being raised, your faith is futile, all are lost, all of that negativity. Let's turn it round because he's, he's given his argument now. Let's give some positivity to that first part of the passage. What we proclaim is not a fairy tale. We're not false witnesses. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised indeed. We believe the truth. It's not empty. It's not just about this world. It's not just about Christ dying and being raised now. It's about the future. Verse verse. Where it says Christ has not been raised, there is power over death. Not just Christ's death, but for all of us. He's the first fruit. Your faith is futile, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. We have power over sin and and a confident faith. Your faith isn't futile. When those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those that have fallen asleep, our loved ones, they're not lost. The first part of that passage can seem really depressing, can't it? That's why we're always need to look at passages in context. In some ways, it's not just about resurrection of the dead. It's about the whole string of what God has done for us, the whole sequence of what God has done for us. It hasn't come to completion yet. One day, we will see in eternity the finished product So what does that mean to us today? You might go, right, that's great, great looking at the passage, but what does it mean to me tomorrow? What does it mean for me for the rest of the week? What are we living for? Are we living a life that is just for the here and now? Are we living a life where we go, let's just eat, drink and be merry? We are to be pitied. Do I have confidence in my faith? How it impacts our life tomorrow 
is that we know that the completion of the promise hasn't happened yet. And we can live our lives with that hope to come. We can live our lives when we look at the news, when we face death, of going, this isn't all there is. This isn't it. It's not completed yet. I don't know know about you, but I do look at the news. Sometimes I I wish I didn't because I, I get quite depressed. I look at the news and I think, is there any hope in this world? And it doesn't seem to be, does it? There seems to be circular things, as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Things happen over and over again. But when you go back to this hope of one day we'll all be resurrected from the dead, it makes you able to face tomorrow. It, may, it gives you a different perspective on facing the, those heartaches and the sadness of what's happening in the world. And that's what we need to cling on to.